Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Hey, everyone. Welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer. And today we're bringing you a bonus episode to discuss the breaking news that has come out of the real estate industry. If you haven't already heard, there was a very big lawsuit that alleged that National Association of Realtors, NAR, and several large brokerages had conspired to keep agent commissions high. We did a show on this back on August 28th, explaining in detail what the lawsuit was all about. So if you want to catch up on that, you can go check out that episode first. But today we have some more information for you because the jury ruled last week in favor of the plaintiffs and awarded damages of about $1.8 billion. And that number could actually swell to more than $5 billion, depending on what we hear from the judge in the couple of weeks. Now, this lawsuit is about more than just damages. It's actually about the way that agents are compensated, the way that people buy and sell homes in the United States all together. So that's how we went out of our way to get James Rodriguez, who's a senior real estate reporter for Business Insider, back to explain to us what is going on. Now, this is one of those situations that is 
ongoing and unfolding. And as you'll hear, we don't know the full implications of this decision just yet. And I know for the people who are involved in this industry, people like me who are investors or real estate agents, loan officers, buyers, sellers, this is a emotional and often scary thing for people, this level of change. And so while we don't know exactly what's going to happen yet, here at On The Market, we're going to do our best to keep you informed so you at least know what is going on in as close to real time as possible. With that, we are going to bring on James Rodriguez from Business Insider. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. James, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Great to talk with you again. So for everyone who didn't listen to your recent appearance on this podcast and maybe hasn't isn't as familiar with the lawsuit we'll be discussing, can you give us a brief summary of what this lawsuit is all about? So back in June, I wrote about these two massive multi-billion dollar class action lawsuits that really are accusing the National Association of Realtors and some of the largest brokerages in the country of this vast conspiracy to use the rules of the multiple listing services, the MLS, to charge sellers inflated agent commissions. And so really, uh, they're claiming that sellers, as a result of the rules where uh, that govern the multiple listing service, that they're forced to pay these unfairly high commissions to the tune of tens of billions of dollars every year. So back in June, I wrote about these lawsuits that have been simmering for several years at that point. The damages in both these cases could reach to the tens of billions of dollars. And so 
But a lot of people weren't talking about these lawsuits at the time. They really were kind of focused on all the other issues that are going on in the real estate industry right now. And the first of these lawsuits, originally was called Sitzer versus NAR. Now it's Burnett versus NAR. It was scheduled to reach trial in October. And so you had these plaintiffs, this massive class of uh, sellers in Missouri, Illinois, and Kansas, who were saying that they'd been ripped off between the period of 2015 and 2022. And in this smaller of the two cases, the damages could reach more than $4 billion. And so these cases, as I mentioned, were kind of working their way through the system for a while. And then in October, you had the jury trial. And over the course of two weeks, all these details came out about, uh, you know, the NAR and some of the largest brokerages think of, you know, Keller Williams, uh, Remax ended up actually settling ahead of the trial, but Remax was originally named in the lawsuits as well. Uh, Coldwell Banker, Century 21. They were arguing that this was the most, uh, you know, efficient way of doing things where basically you have the seller who pays out both the buyer's agent and the seller's agent. That was really kind of the crux of the lawsuit here is the way that agents get paid. And so the uh, plaintiffs were arguing that if the seller has to pay out both the buyer's agent and the seller's agent, that they're effectively forced to pay unfairly high commissions. And, and this is the way that things have been done for, for decades now. So as, as the lawsuit kind of played out in court, uh, you had kind of two sides of this where you have, you know, people that really haven't been paying attention for a while uh, who were thinking that, you know, things might just kind of continue the way that they always have been. And then on the other side, you have uh, people who saw this as potentially a seismic decision for the real estate industry, one that could eventually force buyers, agent commissions to uh, lower dramatically to maybe reach zero, maybe force people to uh, not use buyers agents altogether. And um, earlier last week, the jury actually deliberated for less than three hours and they came back with a guilty verdict and a $1.8 billion decision for the plaintiffs. And in an antitrust case like this, that's automatically tripled to more than $5.3 billion. And so this is a, a really staggering decision. Again, one that I think, uh, you know, there were people kind of sounding the alarm all the way throughout this process, but you had many people who kind of predicted that the status quo would remain as it was. And so we're starting to see kind of the initial fallout. Of course, that'll be appealed. Um, but it's kind of the first step in this process, and this will continue to likely play out for years, but uh, a, a really staggering decision uh, that we saw last week. Thank you for, for that summary. And just want to call out a couple of things that you, you mentioned here, James. First of all, as of this recording, which is on November 6th, we do have the decision from the jury, but we haven't yet heard from the judge in terms of what injunctions might come, which we'll we'll get to in a minute. You also mentioned that the jury only debated for three hours, which seems extremely quick. And mm -hmm. I've been following this, but I'm one of those people who sort of thought it was unlikely that this result would come because NAR has faced a lot of lawsuits and a lot of people have come after commissions historically, and they've successfully defended the model. What is different about this case that NAR wasn't able to defend. We saw this go to a jury trial. I think that's one impact or, you know, one factor here that is really important to consider because you have a jury of regular Americans. And I think there's been a lot of sentiment recently around, I, I you know, a lot of uh, 
kind of anger just toward the real estate industry in general, toward, you know, rising home prices. I think you have people kind of looking for some way to, uh, you know, some way out of this system in which, uh, you know, people not only feel like they're paying unfairly high home prices, but also feel like they're paying unfairly high agent commissions. And, you know, as you mentioned, agent commissions have been in the spotlight uh, for a little while now. You've also had the Justice Department circling and trying to investigate the National Association of Realtors for business practices there. I think really what you saw here is uh, the law firms that were going after these companies. Uh, you know, these are big time class action, you know, law firms that, that really special in these types of cases. Uh, you also kind of have that momentum. I mean, you know, th these cases predate the pandemic, but, um, you know, you kind of have that momentum as well with uh, just the way that we've seen the home buying landscape kind of reshape during the pandemic. And also, I think it's kind of the culmination of all of these years of kind of the, that negative sentiment toward uh, real estate agents and feeling like there must be a way to get this done more cheaply. At the same time, you've had commissions, you know, despite uh, all these technological innovations that we've seen over the past few decades, commissions have remained relatively steadfast at between five and six percent for the total home sale price. So I think it's kind of a a culmination of all those factors. And, um, you know, when you go to a jury trial like this one, where you have, you know, regular people who might be able to sympathize more with, you know, your average home buyers and sellers than they do with these big corporations that have immense sway in the housing market. You know, the NAR is one of the most powerful lobbies in the country um, and uh, a huge trade organization. So I think when you have that kind of scenario and you leave it up to a jury, you you really are taking if you're the NAR and the plaintiffs, you really take or NAR and the defendants, you're taking a risk when you go to a, a jury trial like this one. And we saw that with, uh, you know, for a case that is so complicated, that has so much money at stake and and, you know, the ramifications of this decision were huge for them to deliberate for less than three hours. I mean, it was uh, it was surprising. So clearly, you know, some of the other uh, defendants in the case maybe didn't want to take that risk and settled beforehand. But for the two biggest uh, defendants, NAR and Keller Williams, who have been found liable for these huge sums, what have they said since the ruling? And can these companies even afford to pay this huge of a penalty? Well, the financial stakes, again, are, are huge. And they really, when you have the damages trebled to $5.3 billion, again, you had two defendants drop out ahead of the trial, Anywhere Real Estate and Remax, they settled for more than $100 million combined. You know, that that was a pretty eye-popping figure at the time when they reached that, that settlement. Now it looks like, you know, um, pennies compared to what has ultimately been uh, awarded. And again, we haven't heard from the judge who could potentially uh, bring those damages down a little bit. But, you know, I think when you when you look at the situation that Keller Williams and the NAR are, are in today, they've both promised to appeal this verdict. They've promised you know, and they've said they will try to uh, get the damages brought down in the meantime. So when you think about the appeal process moving forward, that's going to likely play out over several years. And and really what they've vowed you know, they fiercely denied these claims and they vowed that to to fight them to the best of their ability. And really, their argument continues to be that the current setup is the most efficient, consumer friendly way to get a home sale done. So 
when you think about listing your home on the MLS, really what they're trying to protect right now is what's known as a cooperative compensation rule, which is when you list your home in the MLS, you have to offer some sort of compensation to the buyer's agent. That could be as little as a, a dollar. It could be a cent. The NAR actually, in the run-up to this trial, changed their interpretation of that rule so that you could offer the buyer's agent as little as zero dollars and technically comply mm -hmm. with the rule. Um, and the plaintiff said that that was basically an admission of guilt. Um, the NAR is basically saying that it makes the most sense for the seller to pay out both the buyer's agent and the seller's agent because, you know, the buyer's agent is already faced with all these fees and, and you know, having to come up with a down payment for a mortgage. You can't roll agent commissions explicitly into a mortgage right now. And so, you know, if, if the seller doesn't pay out the buyer's agent, basically, the argument is that the uh, you know the buyer's agent would have to just pay out of pocket for those services themselves, and that's really kind of the the crux of this argument here is basically the plaintiffs are pushing for an ideal world to just have the buyer and the seller pay for their agent separately, and they say that that's the most transparent way to do things. It'll encourage the most negotiation between uh, you know buyer and their agent, seller and their agent, and so the NAR and the Keller Williams of this world are, are trying to preserve. The current system, which the seller pays out, both the buyer and the and the seller's agent, and um, so that's kind of really what's at stake here. And and they have vowed to, uh, you know, continue to to fight to uphold the current system. And do we have any sense of when the judge might rule on the cooperative compensation rule? You know, I was speaking to a, a lawyer who's familiar with these types of cases, and he said the the, the judge in this case can move. Uh, Fairly, is known to move fairly quick, but this there will have to be another hearing, basically another kind of proceeding to gather more information and, and before this, the judge makes his decision. So it could be a matter of weeks, uh, potentially even a couple of months. Um, I think uh, we should be getting some sort of update soon on um, at least the timing of that initial proceeding and, and then where we'll go from here. And then again, after that, there will likely be an appeals process. And the other thing is you have not only this case working its way through the system, but you also have the larger of the two cases, Merle, in which the damages could stretch north of $40 billion. Oh my God. And that, that case is scheduled to uh, reach trial sometime in 2024. And so, um, you know, not only do you have this initial uh, case, but you have that one waiting in the wings. You have also these, uh, it, it was, it was interesting at mere minutes after, uh, the verdict came down in this case, the same head plaintiff's attorney filed another lawsuit against NAR and some of the other brokerages like Compass that weren't named in this initial lawsuit. So you're going to see all kinds of copycat lawsuits as well. So this is really just kind of the beginning of what could be uh, a really kind of fundamental reshaping of the real estate industry as we know it. So there's there's a lot more to go from here. So just to be clear for everyone listening, we can speculate about some things that are happening. But as of right now, we haven't gotten a ruling from the judge about the collective compensation rule. And my understanding is at this point, we know that there are damages and we know what the jury ruled. Um, but in terms of implications, long term implications, even short term, we don't yet know mm -hmm. now. Of course, James, a lot of our audience are either active real estate investors. Many are likely real estate agents themselves. 
So people do want to understand what this might mean. Uh, do you have any sense of what the judge could do? At least let's start with the short term. Like, does the judge have the power to dictate what the rules will be? Or is it really the judge's job to say the current system is not working and then the real estate industry will sort of have to figure out a new system? So the plaintiffs were seeking injunctive relief in this case to basically get rid of that cooperative compensation rule to, and, and they say that without this rule and with, with perhaps increased regulation to, um, you know, enforce or to encourage negotiation between buyers, agents and, and buyers and then sellers and, and their agents that basically, you know, getting rid of that rule could potentially force a system in which the buyers pay their agent separately, the seller pays their agent separately. So that's kind of what the judge could set in motion here. And, um, you know, the, the ripple effects from that could be enormous because, you know, if buyers have to pay their own agent out of pocket, you might see many of them just choosing to forego those services altogether to perhaps negotiate those commissions down from the typical, you know, two and a half to three percent. You might see them kind of move to more of a uh, flat fee system or just pay by the hour. So you have all kinds of ways in which, uh, you know, buyers with without this rule in the MLS and with perhaps increased attention to agent commissions, you know, buyers might start negotiating down and sellers, too, might feel that they have more reason to negotiate down as well, um, especially in a market where, Competition has been so fierce for homes. Um, they they might feel like they uh, should be negotiating those commissions down as well. So you have, I think, buyers agents in particular, and especially uh, you know consumer advocates that I spoke to have said that you know the the good agents, the ones who can consistently demonstrate their value and successfully guide somebody throughout the entire process, that those will still be in demand. That you know people still do want someone to hold their hand throughout this oftentimes complicated, frustrating process. And actually what we saw during the pandemic is that more people started using agents. You had 82% of people using agents prior to the pandemic in 2019, 88% of buyers in uh, 2023 using agents. And so there's still a lot of demand for those services. It's really just how they get paid and, and who ends up kind of surviving in the system. And um, if, if things are to change, if the judge does order changes to the MLS rules that could require the system to change and, and move away from the seller paying out both agents, you do have some people that argue for the status quo that say that even if sellers aren't required to pay out the buyer's agent, they'll continue to do so because it's just kind of the most streamlined way to get a deal done that, that the, you know, that you want this deal to close, you want, um, you know, buyers to be able to navigate this system and you want to uh, encourage buyer's agents to bring their clients to your home. And the way that you're going to encourage them to do that is by offering a commission. You know, on the other hand, you have people that, that kind of scoff at that idea that think, you know, if, if sellers are aware that they don't have to be paying out these tens of thousands of dollars that they will, you know, why would they choose to do that? Um, and so, I think that's really kind of the question here is what happens to buyers, agents, commissions if we do move toward a world in which, you know, each side pays out their agents separately. I would think that certain real estate brokerages or individual agents would try to get ahead of this and perhaps want to come up with a new business model. But to me, it seems like a lot of 
the future rests on NAR. And that's because NAR controls most of the MLSs, the multiple listing services, which if you're not familiar with, it's basically there are hundreds of individual MLSs uh, across the country that agents have to work with to post listings for sale. Um, and then those get fed out to the, the, all the different websites that you're used to looking for properties on. And because NAR controls these, this technology in, in many ways, it's sort of up to them to sort of set the rules, which is, I guess, sort of the crux of this, this lawsuit. But does that mean that all the agents and buyers and sellers who are wondering what happens next are just going to have to wait to see what NAR decides to do? I think in a lot of ways, yes. And to see kind of what, you know, there's still the possibility of a settlement as well here. The NAR mm -hmm. and these brokerages do have a lot of incentives right now to kind of ward off this financial calamity and potentially reach some sort of nationwide settlement that could remove the risk of further copycat lawsuits to kind of, uh, you know, get rid of this cloud over the real estate industry. On the other hand, uh, you know, there's a lot of money tied up in the current way of doing things. And so um, it'll be really interesting to see how NAR, uh, you know, pursues this moving forward. And I think there is within the industry, uh, some angst as well to the, you know, the decision to, to, to risk, a, a jury trial in the way that NAR and the brokerages did. And, and, uh, you know, obviously that, that bet did not pay off for them. They, they figured that they could successfully argue that, you know, yes, uh, agent commissions have remained relatively steady over for decades, but that's because, you know, this is a, an efficient system and, and one that benefits consumers by not having buyers, um, you know, have to pay out of pocket. I think that was what they were betting on there. And so um, there's a lot that's kind of in limbo right now. And I think it's a little bit of a waiting game. What you do see, though, is you do see brokerages taking steps to kind of shore up their businesses and to really effectively communicate to consumers the value that they provide, but also, um, you know, really clearly how they're compensated and why the system works the way it does, why, you know, they're trying to explain to consumers why this is the most beneficial system and emphasize that there is room for negotiation, but kind of explain their cost structures as well and why it makes sense for them to get paid the way that they do and get, you know, buyer representation agreements. So you, uh, you know, you're working with a buyer um, and you're, you're being promised a certain uh, commission so that even if the seller uh, does end up offering a little bit less, that you can again, get that full commission um, and, and being really clear about what you uh, kind of expect to, to be compensated. So that's the ways that in which we see companies already taking steps to, again, shore up their business and ensure that they can keep going. But, um, you know, when you have these lawsuits and, and the potential for, for many more lawsuits in the future, again, this first case is really just for home seller, it really just concerned home sellers who uh, sold about 260,000 homes in Missouri, Illinois, and Kansas between 2015 and 2022. And while that's a lot of home sales, you know, this is a, a huge country where there are many, uh, you know, other areas that aren't represented in these initial uh, cases that, that could be covered under future lawsuits. So it's really kind of a uh, you know, as I mentioned, it's it's a big first step, but it really is kind of just a first step in what happens to agent commissions moving forward. 
Just to put that in context, even though home sales volume is down quite a lot in the United States, there are about 4 million home sales per year, even at this low level during the pandemic, it was about 6 million. So as James just said, 260,000 over the course of six years, it represents just a fraction of total commissions uh, that have been paid out over the last eight, 10 years. Now, James, you, you mentioned that you know a lot of this rides on NAR. During the midst of all this, their CEO, Bob Goldberg, left his post. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on there? Well, NAR has been dealing with some internal tumult for a while now. Uh, over the summer, the uh, president resigned over a New York Times investigation into allegations of sexual harassment. Um, and so you have these lawsuits, you have that recognition over the summer. And then, uh, you, you know, a couple days after the uh, decision in this case, you have the CEO, as you mentioned, uh, he was originally scheduled to, uh, you know, planning to retire at the end of next year. So it was a kind mm -hmm. of moving up that retirement. Um, and the kind of official statement was, you know, decided, you know, kind of looked around and decided it was time to just move, go ahead and move up that retirement and begin the transition process to a new leader. But I think, uh, you know, it's hard to look at the timing of that and, and not infer that, um, you know, the decision in this case played a role there. And you look around at the, the situation in which the NAR finds itself in today, where it's not just fighting off these two multi-billion dollar class action lawsuits. You have the uh, Justice Department as well that's looking to reopen investigation into agent commissions and the uh, and NAR's uh, business practices. And so it's... Uh, really kind of a pivotal moment for the organization that, as you mentioned, holds so much sway in the industry, um, not just in terms of advocating for for policies on behalf of brokerages and agents, but also, um, you know, controlling the MLS and really the kind of the primary marketplace where homes are, are listed for sale. So it'll be really interesting to see where the organization goes from here. I, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but it does feel like NAR is facing somewhat of an existential threat here, um, just given everything that's going on. You also, at the same time, see the valuations, at least for public companies, starting to come down based on this news. Do you think, and I know this is just speculation, but do you think some of these other real estate brokerages or companies that service this industry could also be facing similar crises? You know, I think there's a reason that over the summer you you had... I think a lot of the industry kind of wasn't paying attention, but you had some people really raising the uh, alarm bells here and saying this could be a huge deal, not just for the companies that are directly implicated in these lawsuits, but for the wider industry, because so much of the industry depends upon agent commissions and referral fees and the system in which the seller pays out both agents and the agents make, you know, five to six percent of the home sale price. And then you have you know, agents paying all kinds of, uh, you know, fees for leads and, and other um, services to keep their businesses going. You've seen a huge influx of agents during the pandemic. And so you've seen the, the business kind of get built up. And now you have this threat to agent commissions in a way that, that could bring buyer's agent commissions down. It could bring seller's commissions down. So it, it's kind of this... Uh, this existential threat, not just for the companies that are directly named in these lawsuits, but for, you know, companies that aren't like Zillow. We saw Zillow's shares sink after the initial news. And I think that speaks to the way in which 
so many businesses in this industry depend upon the current way of doing things. And if there's uncertainty there, um, I think that introduces a lot of uncertainty for their business practices and, and their income moving forward as well. All right. Well, James, thank you so much for sharing your reporting and knowledge about this issue with us. We really appreciate it. And hopefully we can have you back in the near future as this situation unfolds. Thanks so much, Dave. Another big thanks to James for joining us and talking about this breaking news. I just want to iterate that this is unfortunately one of those frustrating situations where currently we know that something is happening, but we don't fully understand the implications yet. As of this recording, we just know that the jury has made a decision and the really big thing for the future of real estate, which is the judge's potential injunctions and decision about the collaborative compensation rule are yet to come. According to James, hopefully we'll hear about that in the coming weeks so all of us who are in the real estate industry can start understanding what this lawsuit and this decision means for our industry. We will make sure on this podcast to continue to update you about this topic as frequently as is appropriate. And if you appreciate this type of breaking news, we would love to hear from you. We haven't really done a lot of this in the past, but given the importance of this decision, we wanted to get something out to you as quickly as possible. So if you liked it, we always appreciate a great review. And if you know someone in the industry who is going to be impacted by this potential decision, please make sure to share this episode with them. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time. On the Market was created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kalen Bennett. The show is produced by Kalen Bennett with editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting is by Calico Content, and we want to extend a big thank you to everyone at Bigger Pockets for making this show possible. Investing in small multifamily properties is probably the most popular niche in the entire Bigger Pockets community, and there's a good reason for that. You can put as little as 3.5% down and own up to four units. So just think about that for a second. You can house hack where you live in one of the units, but in addition to having a place to live, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month. You have four kitchens and bathrooms that you could add value to to build equity. You could also turn one or more of the properties into a short-term rental or a medium-term rental. And all of this, what I'm describing here, is just one transaction. But of course, the question is, where do you find one of these small multifamily properties that you can afford? Which markets and which deals are best for you? How about after you close? How do you manage it? Optimize it. Keep scaling and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants. These are all great questions. And luckily for you, they're going to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient, great strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. I'll see you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose.
BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.